Recorded live. You're now tuned into the VMware Community Podcast, your number one source on VMware news and updates. Interviews with V experts, product updates, new launchings, VMware events, and much more. Join the conversation and welcome to VMware Community Podcast. Now live with Eric Nielsen. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Community's Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 549. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, Matt Lunga. Today is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. Matt, how are you doing today? Eric, we brought it up last week, but it's probably all the still same internet sensation with the MV ever given. Now things are flowing. Traffic is moving along the Suez Canal, and I went down the deep rabbit hole that is maritime salvage and operations. The whole thing's just absolutely unbelievably fascinating to me of what do you need to do to get something that the size of the Empire State Building to start refloating again. But before we go into that whole entire mess, I know we have so many announcements today, a major product announcement with VMware, where we're headed with all things cloud. Corey has some V-Expert news, but even before we get to that, how are things out there on the West Coast? How are you, sir? And what is the color of the bay? Things are looking up here in California. California announced that 50 and up can get the vaccine. So uh, I'm queued up to get my vaccine tomorrow. And then uh, after April 15th, everybody can then queue up to get a vaccine. And they seem to have supplies. So it is beautiful and sunny in California. I think it's like 71 degrees here today, 72. Sunny, warm, and uh, wonderful. The color of the bay. We, we've been going out to the bay every day. And it is a, it is a, a solid green greeny muddy green a little bit of wind going on there uh the way i'm looking at it now is up from a, a hillside a park that you look and i'm kind of getting that bridge view of the water so it changes the kind of the color but it's it is a beautiful sunny day um Let's just talk about what we're going to be talking about today. Today on the show, we're going to uh, talk to Rick Walsworth. Uh, we're going to be covering the VMware Cloud Foundation subscription and Cloud Universal announcements today. So we had a big uh, uh, live cast today that I think is now over. So uh, we'll talk to Rick. Rick, you can just say hello. How are you doing today? And I assume you're pretty busy. Yeah, it's been pretty busy lately, but you know, it's all good. And this has really been a journey we've been on for the past year and really glad to see Universal finally come to light and be able to give our customers options and flexibility in terms of how they deploy these on-premises solutions. It's fantastic. So we'll get to you in a minute. We'll do the news and talk a little bit about Corey Romero. So Corey Romero, uh, how's it going out there in Utah? What's the color of the mountainside and uh, how are you doing? Doing well, you know, the color of the mountainside is the, the tips of the mountains are still they're still white with snow down here. The snow is starting to melt off this weekend. It's supposed to be 75 degrees. So we're super excited to get out of the cold weather and finally have some warm weather. Very nice. Very nice. So why don't we just start with the experts? What's going on there? I know that you guys are kind of in the sub program world these days. Yeah, uh, exciting news. We uh, kicked off the subprograms this week. So we kicked off seven of the eight subprograms. The eighth is the security program, which was slightly delayed due to uh, just some applications, some more applications coming in. So we're going to get that kicked off. Um, so out of the seven programs, we have 997 V experts in the subprograms working with the individual business units, which is fantastic right so 
50% of the V experts are in subprograms. Um, so we're really excited to announce that today. Uh, that's a good job. Good job. And, you know, we started with just rewards and, you know, it grew into a couple subprograms <laughs> where the subprogram owners were kind of like would never do anything, right? Like it was yeah. like begging them to kind of do it because we had over a thousand V experts. And so we needed to have interactions. And so, man, you, now you're, you're up to seven or eight. And I know that they're, the, you know, the BUs are all over it, right? And Yeah, we have two more coming. I'm working, I'm working with two other business units right now. Um, don't want to say the names because I don't want to get anybody too excited, but uh, I'm working with two other business units to kick off two other subprograms shortly. Yeah, I got to say that social media in general has really taken off in the last now year yeah. at VMware, where it used to be we're like this third cousin uh, down in the basement, you know, in a little Wi-Fi room, <laughs> hacking on electronics or whatever like the big marketing groups never really gave a lot of thought to social and advocates and bloggers. And that was kind of like, oh, those guys, they do that, yeah. what they do. But boy, let me tell right. you, in the last year or so, all the BUs and all the major marketing, I guess it's really maybe Carol, uh, Carol, uh, what's Carol's last name, Carol Kennedy, Carol, Carol Kennedy. Is that her Carpenter. Last name? Carpenter. I was a rock yes. group somewhere in there. Um, so Carol Carpenter, our CMO, she really is um, much more attuned to blogging, to social media, communities, customers. Yeah. You know, that engagement doesn't escape her. So it has been really refreshing to see the BUs start to really take, you know, social communities, advocacy, the experts super serious. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah, right. Not even the not even just the BUs, the comms team as well. So I, I'm getting, you know, continuous requests from the comms team to work with bloggers on various topics, right? And various product announcements uh, that, that are going on. We actually had a meeting this morning with uh, the experts in the comms team and they're working on another announcement. So exciting stuff. I absolutely love uh, getting the community involved in the stuff that we're doing as a company. It's fantastic. Yeah, and Corey, to that point, I mean, one of the things we've done within the cloud products BU is to, it's to really take a social first attitude in terms of mm -hmm. how we do that. And a lot of, a lot of times what we've done is we've actually pre-briefed all the V specialists a month ahead of what's coming out to give them a chance to absorb it, to be able to write about it. But obviously everything's embargoed until the day, the day we go live. And that was a great way, not only solicit feedback, because as you know, that V specialist team comes back real time with, with feedback, good, bad, or different. Um, and then we leverage that feedback as part of our final launch messaging. So it's really been a symbiotic relationship. Something we're going to continue to go do going forward. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like it, like it. All right. And then, of course, uh, we do have to do the shout out to the event today, which was the Cloud Modern Apps event. And uh, even though it's already happened, what I want to do is let all the experts know, because I know we have a lot of the experts listening, that we are also trying to drive replays. And so uh, just because the event has happened doesn't mean that we, we think that we'll get another 50 percent penetration uh, in the market by encouraging people to come in and watch the recording. And I know that you know, I used to look forward to Apple. I'm a big Apple fanboy when Steve Jobs ran it. And I didn't need to see it in real time. I'd go back and listen to it. I re re rewind it three times and watch it. And so uh, the, the replay will be out there. So just because the event has happened doesn't mean that you can't uh, share it with your friends. Put it on a blog. Uh, you can go to vmware.com slash app-cloud-event.html and uh, they have the replay there and uh, I know also in APJ if you're for whatever reason listening to this uh, late tonight uh, your your that the app the, the modern events app is actually happening tomorrow April 1st at 11:30 a.m. SGT 
uh, or that's APJ and EMEA is April 1st, 11 a.m. CEST. I definitely would uh, recommend you go listen to it. And then also Tommy Berry on the social team, you know, he runs the VMware account. He'll be retweeting uh, snippets, right? Little one-minute snippet, you know, little thirty-second, sixty-second snippets. So watch for the snippets and give them, give them a retweet, right? Uh, always looking to get larger penetration of the message. I think the message is super cool. If it wasn't super cool, we wouldn't have Rick here today to talk about it. So, Matt, anything else on the news before we move uh, back to talking to Rick and letting him introduce himself? Eric, I think we have enough with this announcement that we could be here for three episodes. So let's dive right in. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, Rick Walsworth, I, I think I'm doing your name right. Uh, tell yeah, us, uh, we always start with like, give us your career. Like, where did you come out of wherever and get start to work? And then how did you end up here at VMware? How long have you been here and what do you work on? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that uh, although I've only been with VMware two years, um, you know, raised here in the Bay Area, a, a startup guy. My DNA is really coming from startups. And I've always worked with VMware really over the past 20 years, have been, you know, on campus a lot of times. And, you know, that's in addition to the 10 years I spent at EMC, where we were obviously locked at hip, bringing RecoverPoint to market. But really what I, what I look at is I look at the, the ability to be able to bring disruptive technologies into mainstream markets. And if you look at what VMware's done with Cloud Foundation, we've taken our leading solution stack in terms of vSphere, NSX, vRealize, and, and vSAN, and deliver that as a complete solution pack. As part of that, that's really a new way of going to market. And what we've announced today as part of Universal is really taking that next step, bringing that innovation forward. And I'm, I'm happy to be here to talk with you guys about it. All right, great. So I don't know, maybe I missed, uh, you know, like, are you a computer science guy, a marketing guy, or? Uh, yeah, so I'm an engineer by trade and spent the bulk of my career kind of in product management. Um, and then probably about 10 years ago, I went over to the dark side because there's an opportunity to be able to take kind of what you learn being in, on the engineering side and on the product management side and put it into practice. But it also allows me to be able to ask the tough questions, right? So I can go toe to toe with the engineers, toe-to-toe -to -toe with the analysts and be able to make sure I put it all together in common sense that makes sense for our users, right? So it's really a technical background that I've been to apply now into a more of a mark product marketing role. All right, Rick. Well, you know what the saying is, uh, coders who can't code uh, teach and uh, teachers who can't teach teach marketing, right? So there you go. <laughs> That's the higher the pecking order and hierarchy here, as, as we all know. And uh, I think all yeah. of us started out in tech. I wasn't computer science and worked in engineering for a lot of years as well. And then, uh, but I've always been an assisted man and a community guy running BBSs, that kind of stuff too. So it's good. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about the announcement today. Maybe you can just do kind of like a summary. I know you did kind of a summary, but maybe take us a little bit deeper into, you know, universal, what it actually means. Uh, how does, how does it get bundled up? How am I buying it there? Why don't we talk a little bit about what we announced? Yeah, absolutely. So what Universal is as a whole, it's it's really a new way of consuming VMware technologies. And it starts with really three core technologies, which is VMware Cloud Universal. As part of that is VMware Cloud on AWS, VMware Cloud on Dell EMC, and then VMware Cloud Foundation subscription, which is an on-prem offer. So this really offers the ability to be able to take our best 
cloud and on-prem offers and give you one way to be able to purchase it through this cloud foundation, uh, cloud universal program. What this allows customers to do is customers can now actually go in and they can purchase uh, credits through the cloud universal program and then use those credits across any of those properties I talked about. So I could use it in the cloud with VMC on AWS. I could use it on-prem with VMware Cloud Foundation subscription, or I could use it on-prem with the VMware Cloud on Dell EMC solution, which was known as Project Dimension. And those allow me now to be able to take those capabilities and bring those forward in an easy to use, flexible subscription offer that allows me to buy those credits up front, but then I can apply those credits across any of those properties that we announced today. All right, cool. Who has the dog? Yeah, hold on a second. What's it going on? Is that yours? Oh, no, no worries. As long as it's not any of our listeners dialed into the chats. If it's you, uh, it was me. I just wanted to, yeah, I wanted to finish first before I let them out. So the, the beauties of working at home. Don't you love it? Absolutely. We have like eight different people on live uh, live audio right now. So I'm like, okay, let's figure out who has a dog. I'm, you know, if that's okay. You can it, bring the dog on me. camera. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Cool enough. All right, so I, I get that that's kind of interesting. And Matt, I'll let you go and jump into a question if you want, but uh, I'll, I'll go a little bit. Uh, I like the idea that um, because we offer, you know, this hybrid environment now with our complete stack, and you know, you're you're, you're thinking about where I want to run a project. We're basically taking the licensing element out of the decision of where to run the project because if I'm buying these credits, right, uh, you know, and I'm purchasing X amount of you know service credits, software credits, whatever, I can just apply them uh, where whatever project I need, wherever I need to sit it, and the and the and then the where are my licenses are no longer something that I have to really worry about, right, and have to deal with. Exactly, and then not only that, but let's face it, things change, right? I mean. You know, people went, that went into 2020 and planned out their fiscal budgets, all of a sudden the pandemic hit and it blew everything up, right? And so how do they adjust that? With Universal, what this allows customers to do is essentially buy up front. They can plan to deploy a certain percent on-prem, a certain percent on the cloud, but if things change, they don't have to change that. Essentially, all they have to do is reallocate those entitlements to either on-prem or in the cloud services. And then as they start to migrate workloads between those data center and those cloud properties, it gives them the flexibility to be able to do so without having to go back and relicense it. Uh, one of the things that's coming native as part of this universal um, launch is a console. That console is a cloud-based console, but what it does is allows customers to go in and dynamically manage those entitlements between their on-prem and cloud-based uh, purposes. It also allows them to be able to extend that out to edge. So I can have some uh, properties that I'm running on-prem with Cloud Foundation. If I want to be able to start to now deploy edge services, I don't have to buy any more licenses. I can reuse those existing licenses that were purchased upfront on-prem. I can now extend those out to cloud using either VMware Cloud Foundation or VMware Cloud on Dell EMC. So it gives you options in terms of how I can do that. And Rick, to that extent, so with this cloud connection, so we have insight into how these licenses are being consumed. Yep. Is it something that, that's dynamically done as far as where that allocation is? So let's say a customer is split in even thirds, but yep. they have a burstable workload where they need to expand and do some more on-demand services with one of the cloud providers. It does, is it on the customer to reallocate where those credits are at? Or once the workload shifts, it automatically changes where those funds are, are being distributed to. 
So it's up to the customer. And within the console, if they already have essentially purchased subscription credits, but that have not been allocated yet, then they can dynamically move those around as they need to. But let's say in that in your scenario, they've put it into thirds, but they've already essentially pre-allocated or committed those resources to those um, to those uh uh, subscriptions, then within the console, they can actually go and download more. They can actually add more credits to be able to handle that burst situation. Once that burst situation is done, if they're done, if they completed that uh, VMC on AWS deployment, then they can actually move those back on-prem or they can put those in reserve and use those at a later time. So really it's, it's the whole idea here, Matt, is putting the power in the customer's hands and allowing them the ability to be able to dynamically manage this on their own without having to come to VMware to manage it for them. So with that, we, we talked about, so I understand the bucket allocation, but do certain subscriptions, let's say again, to look at that third model, Mm -hmm. Is there certain services that are going to take more subscription credits than others, or are they all on the, on the same even playing field? It, they're on the same even playing field. It really gives you essentially the ability to be able to dynamically allocate those across those different properties. Now, specific to the VMware subscription, uh, the VMware Cloud Foundation subscription component, which is the on-prem component that's uh, dynamically allocated, it also gives me the ability to be able to manage all of the solutions underneath of it. So I've got vSphere, vSAN, NSX. I've got Tanzu integrated. So now I also have a Tanzu standard that's part of this subscription. I can do it in a one or a three-year term. So over that term, I can essentially allocate those resources that are needed to be able to deploy these services on-prem with Cloud Foundation, or if things change and I want to be able to reallocate those same credits towards the VMC on AWS, I have the flexibility to be able to do that as well. And I'm assuming that we're offering some type of conversion, and I know that, that this gets into pricing a little bit, but, and I don't want to go too far down that path, but is there a way to, to convert from existing perpetual licenses to these new subscription models? Yeah, so good, good question. That's one that comes up often. Um, at this time, no. At this time, the only credits that we're going to allow within the uh, VMC Universal, the VMware Cloud Universal program are those credits that are purchased within the program. So if I buy credits within the program for on-prem services, then those VMC credits do allow me to be able to allocate those to other services as part of Universal. But if I had unused credits from another deployment, let's say for on-prem, I cannot use those uh, subscription credits as part of Universal quite yet. Okay, so you have to, there's a multitude of services that are available with this new universal license, but for at least for right now, you have to buy those credits as the universal subscription license to access what is in their, that product portfolio. Exactly, that's exactly the way it's happening. So it, it gives, what it does, it gives us the ability to be able to work this in real time, but then also gives our customers the flexibility once they're in the program, then they can reallocate those credits wherever they need to. Sure. It's interesting to, to experience this transition because really, if we think about it, this is a consumption-based model, right? Um, yep. Maybe you purchase the, the credits, but if you don't consume them, if you don't use them, there's no such thing as shelfware anymore, right? This is exactly the definition of how, how you acquire and use software. The one thing, there's no more shelfware. So you can give me the shelfware comments. And then the second uh, comment that I think is interesting is just um, 
Oh, I don't remember what the second part is, but yeah, we'll do we'll do shelfware first. Uh, it does VMware recognize that? Yes, you know you're not going to be able to just collect revenue now and assume that if it's on shelfware, no big deal, right? Because we've done that in the past. Where look, we sell people, salesmen come in, enterprise salesmen, and throw in something, get another fifty k, and then the customer never uses it. Uh, does this? Do, do we recognize this is shifting how we're delivering? And, absolutely. No, a- absolutely. And obviously we want customers to use our software. We want them to put it into production. We want them to be able to get the value for it because guess what? If they do that, they're going to come back for more, right? Whereas in the shelfware model, they do that. It sits on the shelf. They'll never come back, right? And so it's really the ability to be able to get customers to not only consume the services, but how do they get to value? How quickly can they demonstrate value in a point where it's actually demonstrating value back to their business, back to their stakeholders? And the only way they could do that is to put it into use. This is absolutely one way to be able to do so. And I mean, I think by taking our core hyperconverged infrastructure platform, VMware Cloud Foundation, and moving it to a term-based subscription consumption model, that's, that's showing you that from a VMware standpoint, we are all in. We want to make sure that we make this shift to a subscription model, more of a SaaS model, and be able to do it across all of our properties. Again, for this initial rollout, we're doing it with VMC on AWS, VMC on Dell EMC, and then obviously VMware Cloud Foundation subscription. But that just shows you for those leading products, we are essentially leading the way to be able to deliver new SaaS-based subscription offers within our core portfolio. Yeah, that's I, I remember what, I'll finish my second part, Matt, then I'll throw it over to you. Uh, my second part of the question is, and we do have a question on chat too that I'll ask. The second part is, this also means that if I buy $10 of universal credits, I, I'm actually a customer of all of our software now, right? Like you no longer, like, you know, you have the ability, I can go run Tanzu, right? I don't have to worry about all of these different licensing tiers and, you know, Enterprise, Enterprise Plus and all this stuff. Like all of a sudden I just buy some credits and I've, I've got the whole the whole thing. No more No more worrying about it. That, that's exactly the model. That is exactly the model, Eric, is the ability to be able to get these services consumed. And then once they're consumed, like I said, then they'll come back for more. But it's that right. whole idea of, of getting the value. Yeah, I know that uh, when I'm uh, using software from Chorus, it's our community platform, and we have a WordPress vendor, and we have all these vendors, we actually decide not to do a project, not because it would be a totally cool and we can do it from a resourcing perspective. It's just that the work required to do the licensing, right, you know, to enable the next piece of service on the platform, it's like, oh, they have a Slack integration module, but wait, I'm going to have to cut a PO. It's going to be another 25K a quarter, blah, blah, blah. It's like, by the time you're done, you're just like, you know, I'd do it, but I just don't have the time to process the paperwork right you know like so and i always wonder like why don't you just give me a full everything is in there and then if i use it you can come back after the end of the year tell me how much i used and then i'm happy to pay like because sometimes you do trial on these projects and you know you don't know how successful it's going to be and then if it isn't then you you've committed you know your 25 or 30k or whatever it is right for that additional feature on the platform that it didn't really work then it allows me to do way more flexible things. Okay, the question on the chat is, can the credits be carried forward between three-year terms? So, yeah, the two offers are a one or a three-year subscription offer. So essentially, I I can sign up for a one or three-year option up front. If indeed after the end of, let's say I sign up for one year, at the end of one year, then I could add subsequent one year to be able to get to a three-year offer or upfront, I can decide if I want to buy a three-year term upfront. Obviously there's, there's better, 
I'm sorry. Question. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. So no, no I was going to say. So there's why there's finish my credits in a three year term. Do they expire, or can I roll them over to the next three year deal? Uh, I do not believe you can roll them over, but you know that's a good question. I can go check on that one, Eric. But I, I don't believe you can roll those over. Okay, that's the answer there. Matt, any questions from you? Or I cut you off. So one of the, the another question that we saw over from the YouTube channel, and we always encourage everyone to join us live here uh, on the the live broadcast over at YouTube. Uh, v barbecue youtube.com forward slash v b a r b e c u e and we saw that coming in from felix vargas and felix had asked if we were going to extend out the subscription model to our cloud service providers so will this so, carry as well rick or is there is this going to be a new iteration maybe for them with how they're going to deliver the subscription model to their customers yeah so uh, those VCPP partners that are using Cloud Foundation will continue to use their existing pricing model. So no changes for them in that one. And that the new VCF subscription capability is not part of VCPP right now. So right now they're two separate entities. Um, the exception of that could be within those VCPP partners that are actually using VMC there. So they're actually reselling VMC. I believe there are some extensions there, but as I said, right now, the VCPP partners have their own pricing mechanism that will not change, at least in the near term for this initial rollout. It's going to be you know, primarily direct to enterprise customers, obviously through our uh, partners, through our channel partners as well. And then those partners that are reselling VMware Cloud Foundation, Dell EMC, you know, VMC on Dell EMC or VMC on AWS. Yep. Interesting. And it it would be safe to assume, but again, with not making any assumptions here as far as forward-looking statements, but that the bucket of potential providers within the, these, this cloud universal license as we progress could potentially expand so that those credits could maybe go beyond just VMC onto AWS and VMware Cloud on Dell EMC. Yeah, you could see some other service providers maybe thrown into this mix. Well, if you look at how we're deployed on, you know, either VMware managed services, which is VMC uh, based services, uh, customer managed services, which is mainly the on-prem VMware Cloud Foundation, or partner managed services, what we were just talking about there, you can imagine that expanding out. Right, we're we're running on Azure, right? We've got the Azure VMware service. We got GCP, right, as part of the Google uh, VMware uh, Cloud Engine. You know, we've got everything that Alibaba. So you can imagine that universe absolutely doing that. But what we announced today were the three products I talked about. And really the cloud offer is VMC on AWS. Sure. Just like we had started out with it with the core VMC on AWS product when it was initially announced. We're, we're, exactly. we're stepping it up. Yeah, absolutely yep. makes sense. I can see it now, Matt. I can see it now. We'll have a HOL. We'll have an on, a home lab service we'll plug it into universal and then if you want to get access to my home lab and run something on my home lab you know you, you know we'll you let you burn some credits down you know we you know we had always talked about that Eric, and I, I do want to bring that up of we need to to always look at this as as we're moving to these SaaS models where how are we going to allow our community to consume this in a trial or hands-on lab fashion mm -hmm. right so that they get that exposure, regardless of whether they're working for that small SMB or that large enterprise, that, that we can 
figure out a way to transition the community is VMware is making that shift that, you know, we have things like the VExpert program and VMUG Advantage and whatnot, where, where there's a low cost alternative to use these NFR licenses of what can we do to, to help facilitate that? And I'm sure that's conversations to come and things that Corey has been working on. But yeah, sure. Uh, I'd love to see the, the HOL uh, on on BMC, on AWS, or, or even on Dell EMC. Sure, we'd, we'd love to have that, right? Absolutely. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think that this universal credit thing might be a way to get us here, right? Because it was always so difficult. It wasn't like anybody had a problem getting the experts and everybody theoretically wanted the experts to have the ability to get experience with our SaaS services, right? But when the way we looked at how you'd, how many tokens you'd have to give people or how many, how would you do it, right? Like that was, that seems to be one of the hurdles. There's the, how do we pay for it? But there's also physically how to do it. With Universal now, there is a way you give universal credits, right? So I can set up the expert uh, on the expert app and you know allocate when you get an award, you get X amount of universal credits and you can go play in the services world and uh, maybe deploy some. And that was hard to do before Universal, right? And now that we have universal credits, it might be a way to be able to, to accomplish this. And that's 50% of the chart challenge. The other 50% is getting everybody aligned and nodding their head and uh, allocating some budget to that component. Um, but the the first thing that we always tripped over is like, how do we actually get access? And every BU that has a service was willing to do it. They're like, yeah, we need to get this done. But uh, how to do it was it was tricky. So I think, Rick, this is maybe a way to, you know, as we, you know, we've talked on this podcast before, I, I always ask the question with Rue and Carol, uh, Carpenter, um, you know, what is what is the way to do this? And we, we struggle with enabling that. But I think with Universal and as we've matured as a SaaS offering company, that that we'll we'll probably solve this in the next year. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, you know, you were talking about being able to build your own labs. You know, one of the things our technical marketing guys have done is they've actually built out a nested Cloud Foundation lab that I can run on essentially a, you know, a small set of, of servers out across there, run it as a nested environment, but it gives you that full functionality. So again, with little investment and some NFR licenses gives you the ability to be able to play with it in your own lab and build that out. Yeah, now we get that part. That's the easy yeah. part. It's the stuff that's a true SaaS service, right? That, you know, that doesn't work for a home lab, like, you know, whether, you know, you know uh, cloud health or, uh, you know, a couple of the other the other true SaaS services we have. Yeah. Uh, uh, I forget the one that does. Um, there's there's a handful of them uh, that does the monitoring that I've done Raspberry Pi Labs on. Can't remember what it is, but anyway, um, there are SaaS only services that don't lend themselves to the home lab environment. But yeah. if we had universal credits, that would be a way to get you know, some of that enabled for for our absolutely. Guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to transition a little bit because that's a great explanation of what we announced today. Let's talk about the the live stream and the announcement that happened today. I know there were some customers that we that we were talking about, you know. And so, why don't we we talk chat a little bit about what Ragu and Kit and uh, the other guy people, two women, two I want I don't want to say guys, I say people, uh, four or five guests. What were they talking about? What was the customer mentions? Give us a summary in case no one has time to go watch the whole thing. Well, so what, what we've done is, as part of Universal, we actually ran a pilot of Universal, uh, actually starting last calendar year. So we actually ran a pilot of this 
program, really just to be able to get real-time customer feedback as part of it. And through that program, we did have customers that stepped up and said, yeah, this is interesting to me because they're trying to essentially move from a CapEx to an OpEx model. And so specific to Universal, what they were speaking of was really the flexibility of the platform and what this now allows them to do that they couldn't do before. But on top of that, the, the bigger theme for this announcement was really about multi-cloud, right? Because obviously, if, if you follow anything that VMware is doing, we are all in and try, trying to drive multi-cloud applicability of our services and, and, and our offers. And the universal program is absolutely a first step to be able to get there. But as you point out, we're only covering uh, eight VMC on AWS. So the other clouds aren't quite there yet. But the vision that's been laid out is the ability to be able to deploy on any application, you know, deploy any application on any cloud using any service as part of it. And now you're starting to see where we're starting to branch out to be able to do that. The other part of the announcement was really around some of the uh, app innovation that's happening in, in terms of driving new innovations on these app platforms and being able to help customers be able to transform not only their existing apps within the environment by applying a cloud operating model to it, but also in the modern apps, right? To be able to deploy, use Kubernetes as a essentially a, a orchestration platform to be able to take container-based applications run it within a vSphere or a cloud foundation environment, and then extend that out to VMC and other cloud providers as well. So the big picture is really the ability to be able to not only modernize the application footprint, but also modernize the infrastructure so that at a point, infrastructure becomes invisible because that's really what these developers are looking for. They don't, want, they don't care that it's running on AWS or Azure. They just want it to work. They want to be able to essentially run their, their sprints check their code in so that they can move on, move forward. And, and you know, if you look at what we've delivered, you know, with Tanzu and then the integration we've done with vSphere and with Cloud Foundation, it's really allowing the ability to be able to do so because it's really an abstraction level. We've provided this abstraction level of the virtual infrastructure that now turns it into a set of services. Now that I have services, I can allow the developers to self-serve, access this these services in real time, build their own Kubernetes clusters. When they're done with their sprint, they destroy it and it goes back in the pool. So it gives you that flexible model of deploying infrastructure effectively as code, which is very powerful, very, very powerful. Yeah, I, I gotta say coming from a developer's uh, mindset and obviously having written code and now I'm teaching marketing, um, that just tells you my developer skills. Uh, one thing that we don't want to have to deal with is you know keeping production environments up. Right. Yeah. That's, a, that's the last thing I want to spend my time doing. Um, and in fact, I don't want to even spend my time doing code. I want to go skiing in Tahoe this weekend, right? Or whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, I want to do my development job, get my development code checked in, and then I don't want to have to worry about infrastructure. And I don't want calls at three in the morning, right? Sometimes as developers, we're on call. And uh, my son's a developer for Facebook, and he's on call right now, right? So, But they don't like it. They don't like being on call, period. And so the more you can abstract out the infrastructure, uh, so that developers don't have to be on call, the more they're like, yeah, okay. I think I think Kubernetes was a cool thing when it was a project and it was fun to go build some super distributed application. But as you go into full-time production, and you start to back away and go like, I really don't. I, that was fun. I, I liked having Kubernetes containers running around, but I don't, I don't need all the headache of keeping them up for five years in a row, right? Um, so I could definitely see that stepping back and then VMware stepping up 
giving you that solid infrastructure that we've always had that IT administrators like to do because it allows us to go skiing on the weekend as well. Right. Exactly. And then if you look at it from the IT operator side, right, from the VI admins that are essentially chartered with deploying these new services, and these new applications on there, the last thing they want to do is build yet another silo. So if I have one way to be able to essentially democratize all these applications and, and leverage my tools, vCenter, vSphere as a way to be able to administer that in real time, it makes their lives easier as well. But the challenge was, is that you think about it now, if, I, if I'm in an, a big environment, right? Think of a large financial services company where I may have thousands or tens of thousands of VMs running you know, containers and virtual machines on it. I don't wanna to have to manage all those individual discrete components. Abstract that, make it easier for me to administer. And so really one of the things that was delivered with vSphere and, and the integration with Tanzu is the ability to be able to move things into a namespace, right? Because now the namespace gives me essentially a logical construct that I can not only use to be able to build my environment, my uh, Kubernetes environment, but also from a management standpoint, rather than managing tens of thousands of VMs and containers, I may have just a couple dozen namespaces to be able to manage. So it really reduces the cognitive load placed on the VI admins trying to administer all these different systems that are being bought up. So it really does solve problems for the VI admins as well as the developers as well. Kind of bridges that gap between those two. And Rick, you had talked about a tool set for the VI admins. And one of the things, the great benefits of this is what we're bundling in. So we had talked about Tanzu Standard Edition, obviously included yep. in with this license, but then also what vRealize Cloud and then we're also throwing in the, the VMware Success 360 program. Absolutely, absolutely. Because And you get a success manager with it. Yes, yeah, a customer success executive. Now, yeah. is there anything else that, that we're bundling in with that, like Verney or HCX? Or, or um, obviously, these all play into that. But are they included with this license as well? Or, or how does that yes. play out? Yeah, so within the subscription license, if you try to liken to that what we offer on-prem, it is basically the Cloud Foundation Enterprise License. And so what comes with that, right? I'll get SDEC Manager as part of it. So that's where I'm doing my infrastructure management and orchestration as part of it. Sure, all that get, great lifecycle management now that we've extended out to even, you know, the core BIOS and drivers and firmwares that we've exactly. seen in seven. Yep. yep. I get vSphere Enterprise, right? So I have the full vSphere stack with vCenter that goes along with it. I get vSphere. SAN Enterprise, or I can use external storage to be able to go into it. So if I've got a, a high-end uh, PowerEdge array, or I've got a pure array, I could bring that in and manage that using VVols under Cloud Foundation. So even though it's a hyper-converged solution, we do offer the ability and the flexibility to be able to bring those other solutions in there. I get NSX, so I get the enterprise license at NSX, plus the VRNI, right? So that gives me that not only the networking so I can set up my tiers or tier one gateways to be able to make sure that all my distributed firewalls are set up. But I also get the added benefit of now I have additional management visibility into that networking aspect. And anyone who's deployed Kubernetes clusters before, you know, where it comes, where you start to run into difficulties is really setting that network infrastructure up. Just because of the fact it's so powerful, I have so much capabilities built into it, but you have to be able to know how to do it. So essentially what uh, SDEC Manager does is it automates a lot of those capabilities, giving me the ability to essentially define those profiles once and then deploy it dynamically out across any infrastructure is doing so. And I'm getting that consistency, right? And, and you know, it, nothing, you know, nothing draws 
the ire of the VI admin is inconsistent infrastructure, right? If I have one way to be able to do it, now I've got a consistent way to be able to operate these systems uh, dynamically. Or the auditor for that matter, right? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. For those that are out there running those CIS reports or PCI compliance, yeah, to, to yeah. be able to, to, to deliver it in a consistent foundation and then report off of that, yeah, it's fantastic. Yep, spot on, spot on. Another thing that, uh, that, that, that I start thinking about is, you know, the approval process to buy credits, right? Like, what is the, what is the sales process going to look like now? I assume I just use my account rep and I you know, have to do a, a license and buy additional credits. And I just like looking at this, I can see this where I'm going to have to have cloud help aiming at my universal credits to be able to manage, like, what does my budget look like from a credit perspective? Because that's one thing about a static license is if I buy a, a number of socket CPU license for vSphere and, and vSAN and NSX, I know what I've got and I know I don't, I'm not going to overrun my budget. Do, are, are we taking an approach to, to help help you manage that? Is, uh, what, what is it? What have you heard? Yeah, that's what, that's where that uh, cloud console that I mentioned before comes in, right? That cloud console gives me that one control plane that allows me to have visibility across what do I have that's already been purchased and allocated? And then how am I managing those allocations? I could even do what if scenarios, right? So where if I want to be able to do some capacity planning over a six month window, I can actually run a what if scenario to be able to determine how much of that is on prem and based on let's say seasonal spikes, how much of that do I need to put into VMC in order to be able to provide burst capacity as well? So it does give you a lot of flexibility in terms of how you can do that. Um, so really, it's that cloud console. Eric, to your question, I think that's how you know customers can manage it. The sales contact is the same account reps you have today. So you know there's already relationships that are there to be able to establish that. And then once that initial uh, program's in place, then the customer can self-serve much much easier in terms of the ability to be able to add credits into their existing subscription and allocations. Okay. Um, and then I, I have uh, another question, uh, which you, you mentioned Dell and Dell's cloud and, you know, a mm -hmm. third of people don't know anything about that. And it's like, so, you know, we obviously are owned by Dell. Maybe we'll spin out this year. That's the rumor. Or I think that's what Pat mentioned before Pat no left. Comment. But, but uh, how, I guess, we're just treating Dell and the Dell cloud services just as a peer to AWS, right? I guess that's 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 the answer there, right? Well, yeah. So you know, so par strong partnership with with Dell. Uh, obviously, you know, both in terms of working with VxRail, you know, working with the PowerEdge platforms on on the hardware server side, but then also with the software side as part of the DTC, the Dell Technology Cloud. And if you look at it, you know, the DTC on uh, you know offer is really the VxRail offer running Cloud Foundation. So it gives you the ability to essentially have that. What they've done is they've actually taken putting that into a subscription model as well. But you got to remember that, you know, well, we love Dell. Dell's a great partner. Dell's not the only, you know, partner that's doing that, right? You've got GreenLake from HPE. So there are many different ways to be able to do that. From our standpoint, the common thread is Cloud Foundation. Right, because they've built those services leveraging Cloud Foundation, you know, both in, in terms of the Dell model as well as the offer that um, that HPE is offered as part of GreenLake as well. 
All right. And uh, then my next question, which I know you're not going to be able to answer because you're not going to be able to talk about this, even though so you say everything's out there in the public. I just want to know, like, so Pat Gelsinger now over at Intel, are we going to see like a big universal Intel credit where I can just, you know, say I need some more CPUs and I can just burn some some of my universal credits? And, you know, get me some I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure the gam that runs Intel is hoping that happens. Uh, but you're right. I can't comment on that specifically. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I I'd listen to the, uh, Pat Gelsinger talk. Uh, this is just, you know, we're just going to do this for a minute or so. But I'd listen to Pat Gelsinger uh, do his Intel pr- conference. I swear to God, I want to go work for Intel now, right? Like that. <laughs> they are doing some great, you know, like what he announced with the $20 billion investment in his own fabs, right? Um, really makes me feel good about Intel, right? Like, and, and, you know, you do still have computers in the background. So we talked about Dell, right? And what. Dell was doing. There are other computers out there. And really, if you look at our solutions, they're all x86 based, you know, fundamentally x86 based, except for some very small ARM projects. Uh, So I'm really happy about this fact that, you know, yeah, Pat's over there doing amazing stuff, committed to $20 billion, two $20 billion investments in Austin, or not in Austin, in Arizona. for fabs, right? Which just gives me you know, a, a good sense of, hey, somebody competitive is going to go over to Intel now and uh, and and keep Intel very happy. So the Dells and the HPs and the and the Lenovas and everybody else that's on the x86 hardware have, I think, a very strong future. Even though we're layering on, you know, universal credits and you know everybody gets excited about us all just magic SaaS services. But let me tell you. There's still hardware down there and hardware has to be managed and x86 has to be managed. So uh, excited about the fact that, yes, you point out that's not just Dell. It's everybody uh, on, in x86 land that can take advantage of this. Um, is there going to be anybody left that gets to install stuff on hardware You know, going forward? I guess we have a hybrid environment, so we'll still have a large hybrid. And I guess Universal Credits just plugs into your hybrid, your, your on-prem stuff as well to consume licensing. So I guess that's yep. all good. Through Cloud Foundation subscription, that's absolutely right. Right, right, right. And we don't joke about it with uh, the x86, but one of the things that you could see with this is if there would be that new competitor in the marketplace or that particular chipset that would take advantage of a container services that would be optimized for that particular processor or an AI or ML workload. When we bring in, which you could see, as we had talked about, these other cloud providers under this service subscription umbrella, now it's not looking to go out and set up a different contract. It's let's go and make that transition with now what is our universal license and consume those services that are now enabled for that workload, right? So that that now that we're under this universal bridge, it doesn't matter if it's, well, I have a workload here that's most efficient on on AWS or there's AWS services that I need to, to be able to plug into, you know, existing services that I, that I want to take care of, Lambda functions, whatnot. But then you could see where there would be other services that would come in or maybe as we added Azure that we're doing, you know, Windows virtual desktops and whatnot. And then all of this falling under that universal license, it really starts to make that much more sense to look at this as that SaaS model and the transparency of moving from one workload to another where it's best optimized under that universal license. Yeah, exactly. And that's a whole benefit, Matt, is that it gives customers the flexibility to be able to determine where should this workload be running now and not lock them in, 
right? So it gives you that flexibility to be able to do that and dynamically allocate those credits based on what the business needs are, not based on what licenses I've already bought. Cool. I mean, I always, uh, I always look at, uh, you know, workstation anywhere, desktop anywhere, all the, all of our fusion, you know, workstation, all the player stuff and all that, and how, how, how this applies, not just to server vSphere and SX, but also, you know, our workstation horizon products as well. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. I assume that all plays as well. Yeah, it certainly does. And, and, you know, if you look at it, VDI virtual desktop is one of the core use cases for cloud foundation. Um, and, you know, what we saw when the pandemic hit in 2020, what we saw was that customers that had an initial footprint uh, for their VDI footprint, all of a sudden they had to step that up and ramp that up in a hurry. So we saw a number of customers essentially responding to the pandemic and, and everybody working from home and really the demand on that infrastructure that we saw them ramp that up. And so we saw a significant ramp up in terms of customers that are driving more VDI services out across their infrastructure, you know, both in the data center, but then as well extending that into cloud. Cause I know the VMC on AWS folks also saw a big spike in demand in result of the, uh, the pandemic. So I think, you know, the way customers have responded to that is really the ability to give them that flexibility to be able to, you know, move licenses you know, from on-prem to cloud, previous to Universal, that was very hard to do, right? I had to go off and I'd have to buy different subscription. With Universal, those same customer scenarios, now they have the ability to be able to dynamically move those uh, workloads around without having to go in and move their licenses around uh, separately. We really see that in more of the, that business of the business intelligence is that there's not that really that static workload. Yeah, sure, core infrastructure, but true business applications comes in ebbs and flows. I think about seasonal call centers, yep. uh, healthcare applications, uh, government applications where, where things like where you're doing tax processing and all the, the tertiary uh, uh, businesses that are, are seasonal towards that, where, where they need that peak demand, but the rest of the year to invest on that on-premises infrastructure, maybe not make that much sense. Exactly. Whereas now we can burst and accommodate those needs and then pull that back and reallocate those, those licenses uh, as we need to. I think it's, it's a great way and it, the, the businesses that are going to succeed are going to help. They're going to understand in their IT operations how to position themselves to accommodate themselves to that burstable model and then yep. the retraction that goes with it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right, Matt. Cool. All right, we're coming up to the end. I, I got to say, that's a super fast uh, 50 minutes uh, talking to Rick, right? And then news and all that. Um, we always like to kind of wrap up with one, uh, you know, wh what, do you, what is your plans for 2021? I know VMworld's going to have some sessions coming up. We obviously did this big announcement. Rick, what are you trying to accomplish? What would you like the community to understand about uh, some of the stuff you want to accomplish this year? Yeah, I mean, really, we're just trying to take our core mission to be able to enable this developer-ready infrastructure to that next level, right? And so the work we've done over the past year, and certainly with the announcement today, I think we made big steps to be able to do that. But now on top of that, now if you start to look at some of the additional workloads that are coming onto our platforms, you know, machine learning, AI, it's really driving a whole new level of performance, uh, you mentioned Intel before. We've done some work with Intel in terms of taking and ex using acceleration technology as a way to be able to do that. But one of the things that came out of VMworld last year was Project Monterey. 
which is super exciting. And the ability to be able to leverage smart NICs and, and some of the innovation that's happening out there to be able to not only offload the CPU from being able to do that, but it opens up a whole new set of use cases that it right now I mean, the head's exploding just because of all the potential that's out there. So that's where we're focusing right now is really trying to drive that innovation in terms of what's happening, not only within our core platform, but then when you start to extend it in leveraging services like Project Monterey as a way to be able to use these smart NICs to not only offload on virtual infrastructure, but it also starts to open up some interesting use cases around bare metal. So, uh, you know, again, still a lot in the works, but in, in terms of where you're seeing our focus, you're going to start to see a lot more uh, news and noise around uh, what's happening with uh, Project Monterey and certainly with uh, within Cloud Foundation. Jeez, uh, Rick Walsworth, I, I I think I want to buy some universal credits, right? I mean, you got me totally amped up here. In fact, I'm going to put you up for the next CEO position, right? I think you should replace Pat. Because no, 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 no. no. I've never seen more passion and excitement for some, some tech in, in a long time. So that's, that sounds great. Matt, any last questions before we move on to the barbecue report? You're muted. Oh, Matt's muted. You know, I... I did so well today. I, I was, you know, five for five for finding the, the unmute button and uh, I missed. Uh. So Rick, if a, uh, someone's listening along right now, is there a, a centralized blog where, where you're directing customers to consume this content? And if they want to read through on all of these, you know, Cloud Foundation and where we're going with the universal license and maybe catch a recap of the video briefing that was put out there today. Where, where should where are you directing customers to consume all of this? Yep, real easy. It's a Cloud Foundation blog. So if you you, you could just Cloud Foundation slash blog, you'll, you'll get right to it or just do a Google search on Cloud Foundation blog. That is where we are essentially keeping all of these innovations as a central place. Um, and, and it's not just marketing speak. We've got our, our technical folks that also contribute to that blog very often. And so that's really kind of that one-stop shop, Matt, to be able to deliver that, those, uh, that news and some of the innovations. We also tend to throw some teasers out there. So the other thing I would uh, certainly uh, direct people to is the VMware Cloud Foundation Twitter handle, because again, like like the blog, we'll we'll throw some teasers out there. We'll throw some uh, kind of advanced notices out there. So if you pay attention to that and kind of know how to read between the tea leaves, you can figure out where some of the things are coming, and and we use that as a good way to be able to tease it out. All right, that URL for Cloud Foundation is blogs.vmware.com/slash/forward/slash/cloud-foundation. So there you go. Go check out that blog. There you go. Thank you. And Rick, if our listeners would want to follow you along on Twitter, what, if you don't mind sharing, what is your handle that's out there? At Rick Walsworth. So very easy, at R-I-C-K-W-A-L-S-W-O-R-T-H. Fantastic. Right. Rick Walsworth, do you like barbecue? I love barbecue. Are you kidding? All yeah, right. Barbecue is cooking, by the way. We're going to do a barbecue. I know the Cora Romero is out there in Utah, and awesome. we're going to... We're going to listen to what he has to say. And Rick, I'd like to get your opinion on what do you think of Corey's barbecue report? So Corey Romero, you're back. Yes, I am. So I have a tri-tip that's, even though I'm in Utah, I've got a tri-tip that's from Brentwood, California. Last time I went there, I think I bought 12 to bring back. These are some of the best tri-tips I've ever had. They're uh, marinated in a little bit of red wine and some mustard seed and some other things. And uh, I'm cooking it today on my Traeger smoker. And so, uh, if you can see, I've got uh, 
the tri-tip on there and I've got a couple meat probes inside of it. And the meat probes will actually tell me the temperature of the internal temperature of the meat. So what I do is I smoke this to 100 degrees and then I turn it up to about 225 until I get an internal temperature of 136 degrees, which is absolutely perfect. It's a little bit uh, red in the center. And uh, this is by far the best tri-tip I've ever had. Oh, Corey, Corey. And that's a tease because it's one o'clock out here on the, on the West Coast. I haven't had a chance to have lunch yet. I barely had breakfast. And you're you're tweeting, you're, you're sharing that with me. That's, that's, that's torture, dude. That's torture. Yeah, I think next week I might do ribs for the uh, barbecue report. Nice. Yeah, I think Corey has, has now stepped it up for an all-new requirement for the barbecue report of the live <laughs> news feed right out to the, to the Traeger Grill. Fantastic, Corey. Tony, Tony. Awesome. Tony. I know Tony Foster, I got you on chat. You should be live audio. I know you did some barbecuing last week yep. too, like together. Uh, what what did you do and how did it turn out? I I, I did a pork butt this last weekend and yeah, Corey, you're, you're making this hard for everybody. Now I'm gonna have to do stuff live. <laughs> did you uh, did you did you season your pork butt? How do you cook a pork butt? How do you barbecue a pork butt? And does a pork have a big butt? And does it even fit in a barbecue? Like, how the heck is a pork butt cut? <laughs> so, interesting thing. A pork butt actually isn't the butt of a uh, pig. It's actually the front shoulders Shoulder. of a pig. Um, All right. And, and the way I uh, uh, do it is I'll, I actually smoked this very similar to what Corey's doing right now. Um I uh, marinate and inject my pork butt with all sorts of goodies um, and then do a uh, brown sugar glaze on top and uh, run it low and slow and uh, spike it there towards the end to finish it off and turns out awesome. Well, that's, that's awesome. And I do have a question for everybody here with regards to barbecue and it came up uh, because we're getting ready for Easter weekend. We're not particularly super religious, but we do like to celebrate the holidays. And uh, so we're, we're going to do a tri-tip and make uh, uh, tri-tip quesadillas, right. You know, with uh, corn and do some Tex-Mex uh, mixes for stuff for outside. We're going to do barbecue. Um, but then we're also decide we're going to order a honey baked ham. Okay. We're ordering honey baked ham. The question is why, when I barbecue my pork, does it turn out brown? Right. And, you know, yummy. Right. Versus a honey baked ham or any other ham you buy, which is pink. Who knows why a honey baked ham is pink and yet the pork we cook is brown. I think it's been cured. Yeah. Yeah, I think the so. Curation right? process. Right. Yeah, the so curation the process of ham turns it pink. Turns it pink. There you go. Yeah. You heard it on the V Barbecue Report that, you know, the reason you get a honey baked ham, aside from the yummy glazed, is it's cured. And it turns pink when it cures. That's it. I thought it was maybe because the pig was pink, right? And that they had some super <laughs> engineered pink pigs going on. That was Genetically <laughs> modified pigs yeah. to turn them pink. Yeah, GMO, GMO pork bun, apparently. So yeah. you know, extra make me hungry. Universal crowd over to, to Corey right. on that knowledge today. We are one minute past the hour, so we do have to end because everybody has more meetings. Nobody gets paid for this, and uh, this is not actually our day job. So, uh, Matt, thanks. Uh, Rick, thanks for being here. Corey, as always, Thank you. Uh, shout out to Graham and uh, Mr. Porkbutt himself. 
Wonder Nerd for coming in every week and being here. Uh, and also just a shout out to Julia Klaus. Julia Klaus is uh, always running these and making sure all the audios uh, work across the board. So thank you, Julia, for doing this. And I know she's going to be taking a break to do some very important work. Uh, we maybe we'll talk about that next week. And so uh, she'll be gone for about a month or so and then we'll survive uh, until she returns. So Julie Klaus, I think this is gonna be your last podcast for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so. So uh, good luck and uh, we'll see you when you get back. And with that, thanks everybody. We'll see you again next week. Thanks. All right guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you everyone. Appreciate being here.